We are back again for the final time in 2022. We have a great interview and some exciting news from the past couple weeks in Indie Ball. You don't want to miss this episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. We're back again, episode number 199 of the Andy Bar Report podcast. I'm Nick. He's Will. We're closing on 200. 200 is going to be the first one of 2023, which is kind of fun how that wound up working itself out. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, what cool. are the odds? I know, really. I would have required basically skipping a month uh, a while back. So uh, good thing that happened. So it worked out good there. We're off the heels of our Q&A episode, which seems like a lot of people liked it. seems like... We got good feedback on it. Always like doing that episode. So uh, this week we're back to uh, our usual pace of things. We got some news from the past couple weeks. And on top of that, we also have a a great interview uh, with the Windy City Thunderbolts general manager, Mike Vershave, uh, who you're going to be hearing from in just a minute. So overall, uh, it's going to be a pretty good week. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, the Q&A episode kind of put, because I believe the Taggart news was technically last week. Yeah, yeah. So, but, you know, it's the offseason. It's the, around the new year. They're usually not usually not a ton. So to get that little kind of news dump there as well, uh, just, you know, gives us, gives us something to talk about along with, with peak interview season, I think you could say. Oh, it absolutely is peak interview season. And, you know, like you said, well, it's, it's the offseason. We're not getting... Too much news flying us too quickly. So if it waits a week, it waits a week. And there was some other stuff. I mean, like there's been more banana ball too. But I mean, like at a certain point, we say what we can say about which is banana ball is coming to more and more indie ball parks because it's popular. It's great for filling dates. It doesn't interfere with the main goal. So it's a positive. I mean, like there's only so many ways we could really phrase that, you know. So uh, there's that. There's some other news. But we mentioned the interview. And it makes most sense to get to the interview first. Uh, oh, I had a piece of cashew stuck in my tooth. And I had to get that <laughs> out first. Very important. That's important that people know about that. Uh, but yeah, it's, overall, it's a pretty solid interview, about 30 minutes long. Uh, we talk a little bit about his time in the Frontier League. Uh, been with this organization essentially since 1999. Uh, small little break in there, but otherwise... Pretty much straight through since then, he's been with uh, what was once the Cook County Cheetahs and now is the Windy City Thunderbolts. So we talk about that. We talk about the All-Star Game coming. We talk about getting Richie Sexton to manage this club. A lot of interesting topics. And overall, I think you guys will really enjoy it. So uh, I suppose we could just get right into that interview. Here is our, uh, our discussion with Windy City General Manager Mike Vershave. We are back again this week with another terrific episode, another terrific interview to go along with it. And this week, as we mentioned on the Q&A episode last week, we have the general manager of the Windy City Thunderbolts, host of the 2023 Frontier League All-Star Game, Mike Vershave. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today? 
Uh, great, Nick. Thank you for uh, for having me on. Pleasure to have you on. And uh, I know uh, we've been dealing with a lot of inclement weather, so I appreciate you uh, being able to fight through that. Because I know you guys aren't in the office today because of the weather. So I thought for a second we may have to uh, move it to a different time. So I'm just happy to be able to get it done uh, today and be able to get it up and everything running on time. So I appreciate you taking the time to do it. And uh, I guess where what makes the most place to or makes the most sense to start is talking about the very thing I introduced you with, which is that Frontier League All-Star Game in 2023. Obviously, last year it was in Washington and now it comes a little bit further west. So uh, it's been some time since Windy City's had an All-Star Game. So I guess just kind of take us through the process of getting it and uh, a little bit about it. Well, uh, certainly, you know, uh, we are excited to bring the all-star game to the uh, south side of Chicago. It has been a long time. You're right. It's uh, Last time we had it was when we were called the Cheetahs, the okay. kind of Cheetahs. It was 2001. So it's been over two decades. And so I think uh, even though, uh, you know, we've been in the league a long time and um, I think it was uh, our time to, to host again. It was, it's, it was beyond time. So we're, we're happy to, uh, we were happy to be selected to do it. So then the process to get the All-Star game, is it more or less the league comes to teams or do they just kind of throw it out like, hey, who who's interested in it? And then they kind of look it over. Like, what's that whole process like to get the All-Star game to your ballpark? Well, it's more of a, I guess you could call it a seniority sort of thing mm-hmm. um, where, you know, the longer you haven't had it, the more likely you would have it. Mm-hmm. Um, in addition to just seeing how it fits geographically, you know, where's it been lately? Uh, you know, you don't want to stay on one side of the country. Uh, you do kind of want to move it around, especially for a league that's as, uh, large as ours, uh, taking up pretty much half the country. Yeah. Um, so it's a nice, uh, you know, it's just a, a few things. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, usually there's only a few teams that, that want to do it either for anniversaries or they haven't done it for a while. Um, or they had some improvements to their ballpark. And so, uh, we were in a position, uh, to put our name in the hat and, uh, considering we haven't hosted it in so long, um, uh, we were, uh, we were the one chosen. Yeah, no, it definitely is uh, good to see it kind of get around, get to some different fan bases and maybe haven't experienced it a lot. So it's just kind of interesting how that system works. Cause I always wondered, cause you see just seemingly random places get picked, but, uh, it does make sense on a seniority or on a make sure everybody gets this kind of basis there. And so I guess I'll continue just going down the rabbit hole on because we're talking about it obviously we know there's going to be the game we know there's going to be the skills competition something that i've been on record as saying i'm a huge fan of in the past that's going to be one of those days uh obviously we're only in december right now so looking at an event that's six months out is kind of hard to really get everything you know real detailed but what are some of the other points or uh, or things you're looking forward to showing off to fans that may be coming in from out of town to watch the All-Star game or just people that haven't been to the ballpark in a, in a little bit? Sure. Um, you know, each team, when they host it, they can. it's kind of a blank slate, right? It's a canvas. And uh, other than the All-Star game, teams are allowed to, to get creative. I know in the past some teams have done, uh, you know, a Battle of the Sexes softball game. I believe mm-hmm. Washington did that. Not last year, but the previous time they they uh they hosted they had a battle of the sexist softball game some players some teams do concerts um some teams do 
a traditional home run derby with a concert. You know, it's yeah. it's really up to the host. So, you know, we've been talking about this for years. One of those uh, pie in the sky things that if we ever did get around to hosting it, and we felt like we were prepared to host it and ready to host it, we would love to do a skills competition. And so instead of just a straight home run derby and stretching that thing out, uh, we wanted to keep it, try to make it unique um, and try to change it up a little bit so nothing gets old. Even though everybody loves home runs, um, you know, in particular, our ballpark is not a home run hitters park. It's one of the harder uh, places, always, always one of the best pitchers parks in the league. And so uh, um, we thought it would be the perfect uh, venue to try something different, um, add in a uh, a bunch of different skills and uh, see if we can make – See how unique we can make it and make it put on a good show for the uh, spectators that day. Yeah, like it with the with the skills competition. That's the one thing I always liked about was it gives some more diversity to that other day because we're just going for a home run derby. Like you say, either it gets stretched out and then it just feels like, well, why am I wasting all this time here? Or it's over real quick and it's kind of like, well, I showed up for a home run derby that lasted 45 minutes. So you give those other players an opportunity to, on some level, showcase themselves. Yeah, but give the fans a diverse experience. So that's certainly uh, something that's very cool to see and something that I've always been a, a fan of seeing. And I know for me personally, for whether it be NFL or NHL, the skills competition for me was always like the the premier event, the one that I made a point of watching. So uh going to be interesting. Well, look at, you know, look at the NBA All-Star game, right? Yeah. In the skills competition, that dunk competition has sometimes – you know, it's repetitive. It gets a bit stale. Uh, and so, like, my favorite my favorite really is the three-point shot, even yeah. though that is repetitive as well. Yeah. You know, just like I think the dunk, the dunk competition is equivalent to the home run derby, and, and there's nothing yeah. wrong with adding more to to that, to the main course of a skills of a, of a skills event. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it just it showcases players that, you know, they have an extreme talent at one thing or another, but they just never get the opportunity or the stage to be able to show like, hey, I'm the best guy at doing whatever X skill is. But it's still like a tremendous feat to see it. So it is something that's certainly cool. I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to. And uh, naturally, the uh, the kind of next place that I want to kind of guide this to is the other piece of really big news that was made uh, from the Thunderbolts this past offseason or this current offseason i suppose uh which is you guys hired a new manager and he's a bit uh i guess well known would be one way of putting it when you hire a major league all-star in uh, richie sexton so i guess what was that hiring process like to get a guy like him in and uh yeah just how do you go about getting a guy like him to manage your team well i think uh i would assume most of the owners in independent baseball have relationships outside of just the frontier league. They grow up in the, you know, there's a reason they want to own the own a baseball team Mm -hmm. and uh, they grow up in the game. They grow up in the right circles. They know people. And so uh, we were lucky enough to have a connection with our current owner uh, ownership to Richie Mm -hmm. and Richie has had a, uh, this is something that he's wanted to do uh, for, for a while. And, uh, you know, an opening, uh, became available for our position. And, uh, you know, one thing leads to another, you know, people talk and, uh, you get to know somebody and, uh, and, uh, we felt that, uh, 
you know, Richie with his uh, resume. You know, he has a pretty impressive Major League Baseball career, um, uh, over 300 home runs and uh, multi, multiple all-star with Milwaukee. And so, um, so it was, it, it's, it's a, it's a nice hire definitely for name recognition, which is a little different. You know, we've, um, we've actually had a nice history at the Thunderbolts of, of hiring people, uh, former major leaguers or people that have gone on to coach in major league baseball, uh, currently. And, uh, um, but again, I think, uh, with the combination of our ownership and talking to Richie, uh, this is something that he really, really wants. And, uh, and he is jumping into the deep end and, and I'm sure, uh, it's going to be a, a great, uh, a great thing. Yeah. And I imagine, you know, as a front office, as an organization, getting a guy like that, that explicitly wants to be there, that wants the job and wants the opportunity to really, you know, prove himself as a manager obviously he's done that as a player 10 times over but you know as a manager it's still a little we're still wanting to see how he's going to work out but to have that kind of guy that wants to be there wants that chance i imagine that's it's special for an organization uh well certainly his name uh is a big deal to us and people do know him now with that being said a super successful um player career Mm -hmm. doesn't guarantee a super successful um, or even a remotely successful managerial career. Mm. So this is what's great about this. And, and uh, Richie, uh, in the multiple times that I've talked to him, uh, several times, many times now, is that he is, he is, it's a new challenge for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's, I think in a way, he, he probably feels that, you know, he's the new kid. He's, mm. he's now, he's pretty much a rookie because he really is as a manager. And so it's, it's his job to learn, um, from the, the, the independent baseball landscape that he's going to be, uh, getting himself into, see what works, see what doesn't. And, uh, it's a brand new journey for him. And, and I think the, that our organization is excited, uh, to see how it goes. It certainly. And I just wonder if, if you know, if he has any sort of a type of, uh, philosophy or a certain type of mindset when building this team. Cause I know a lot of guys, when we talk to managers and we talk to, to other organizations, they go, okay, we want a team that, you know, plays fast. Is it more of a contact based team? We'll sacrifice power if we can get on base a lot. Other teams are going, we want long, long balls. We got the kind of ballpark that benefits. Obviously, you guys, you mentioned earlier, don't exactly have a ballpark set up for home runs and it's, you know, more set up for pitchers. Uh, so I'm just wondering if what's the kind of approach going into the 2023 season, trying to uh, build the ball club out? Uh, Richie is aware that the, the ballpark uh, yeah. itself is more. Uh, favors pitchers. Yeah. Uh, he knows that. Um, however, um, I believe he thinks uh, and he knows that he's going to be able to to find ways to increase uh, production from our offense, no matter who yeah. is on the roster. He really thinks he can help these players uh, grow and take another step. And uh, so I would assume, even though I don't really have a, a comment on his philosophy, um, he thinks and he knows that he will be able uh, to uh, to improve these this, this offense, and um, and hopefully that that leads to a few more wins. 
Hopefully it does. And uh, that, that's something I wanted to bring up because you guys do have a, a history of winning um, more so in a little bit in the past with three championship titles, a bunch of division titles as well. Uh, but there's a bit of a playoff drought that's gone on for a little bit of time. And I'm just wondering, is this going to be the year that we're going to see it? Because I know what come to an end, that is see the drought come to an end, because I know when Richie got announced, there was some uh, conjecture online saying maybe this is going to be what turns it around. And hopefully it is. Uh, but I'm just, you know, I, I had to bring it up. I had to ask. You're right. We do have a, uh, a distant history of, uh, of winning. You know, we had a nice run, uh, towards the end of the 2000s, uh, winning a couple championships in a row and making the playoffs, uh, multiple times in a row. And you're also right that we have, uh, on the field, um, we've, we've run into some uh, tough times and it's been now, I think over 10 years of struggling. And, uh, so, you know, with a new manager brings new hope. And uh, with a new manager brings a new vision. And, uh, you know, when I'm asked how the team is going to do, um, I just tell them uh, with a straight face that I think we're going to go 96 and 0 because I really have no idea. And so I, uh, again, I, I really hope that, that um, not only we become more competitive, that we, uh, but that we get some playoff spots in there in the near future. And, uh, you know, we could uh, turn this thing around yeah. as a baseball organization. I mean, if nothing else, you do got you guys have the benefit of being in the Frontier League, where you're going to have the Empire State Grays on your schedule, so that's always working in your favor on the field. Uh, and with that, I do want to mention the Frontier League because you've been with the team for a while, and uh, certainly you've seen a lot of change come through the league. So I guess just in the since the merger, you know, has there been any sort of major effect on Windy City? Obviously, you guys are in the the more Western division that didn't really get any can-am league teams but you come out east a bit more you're going into new markets and whatnot so i'm just wondering how that merger kind of affects you guys if at all well it certainly affects the travel we uh we go a lot farther than we used to hmm. um and the league has um you know merging with the can-am league um was a great thing it was an exciting an exciting moment for the league and and it's also opened up a few doors here uh during the process of when um when Major League Baseball, you know, started cutting for minor league baseball, it, it opened up some opportunities there. Yep. And because of the size of our league geographically, that will continue to be the case where uh, opportunities will be around, whether they're whether they're in the Ohio Valley, east side, or or around us by the Mississippi. And so, um, you know, the league used to be, we used to be on the west side of the league we still are on the west side of the league but there were a lot more teams on the west side of the league and almost almost within three four five years the league has turned a predominantly eastern eastern coast league mm. um so it is a little different than that but i think uh we've had a lot of our fans uh, mention how awesome it is to see a team from new york come in whether it be try uh whether it be the valley cats or whether it would be the boulders uh, teams from new jersey and then the teams from Canada, it, it adds credibility mm -hmm. to Lee. You know, we, we love our local rivalries with Joliet and Schaumburg. Mm -hmm. um, however, you know, when you when those teams that are that are coming from such far distance, you know, that's not, you know, anybody who questions the baseball or the dedication of the organizations to the league itself, um, all those answers should be 
very easy considering you just have to look at how big our league is, how long these teams come to play. And, uh, and our fans really appreciated those different type of uh, opponents. Yeah, I know certainly on the being on the East Coast, being in New Jersey, I always like seeing like seeing Schaumburg come through, seeing Windy City come through, seeing these newer teams that, you know, for a while I heard about, I knew about them. Obviously, we followed the Frontier League, but they're kind of more distant teams. So to now actually get some variety in what used to just be the same, you know, like five other Can-Am League teams, you'd see Sussex, you'd see uh, then Rockland, I still call them Rockland Boulders, uh, the multiple Canada teams as well, it got stale. But now having that variety, certainly at least from my perspective, has uh, definitely been a positive here. And I imagine the level of play also has gone up uh, some degree here as, you know, there was some uh, change to roster rules to help accommodate that transition uh, for the Can-Am League team, certainly. So uh, I just wonder, how does that affect the team too, having that new kind of roster set up? Well, the league's certainly older than it once was uh, before the Can-Am merger. And uh, and I think, you know, the Can-Am being um, hmm. such a, it was an older league, right? It's, yeah. it's, no, it's not. It was at the time of the merger, they truly were two totally different leagues. Hmm. And, um, you know, even with COVID, and, and it, it really, only this past year has the two leagues finally started to intertwine because of covid which restricted travel and you know we didn't play in 20 we uh you know we have we have a really localized travel in 21 due to covid so just last year was the first time that our leagues uh, other than seeing it on a piece of paper where our teams actually played each other and you finally got a feel for the two leagues actually being one and so when can-am came in uh our league you know, you want to make transitions easier. And so uh, whether it would be an additional salary cap or allowing additional older players to try and ease that um, ease that transition to where a league like the Can-Am is really coming into a younger frontier league. And so now we've found this middle ground. And uh, with the addition of, of those uh, uh, defections for minor league baseball or mm-hmm. how you, however you want to call it, yeah. Um, a lot different players have become available. And I think even with COVID, you're still seeing everything still settle uh, regarding the player levels and uh, where those players are going to be. And, and I think that uh, as that continues to settle, you'll, you know, we'll see where uh, uh, we'll see where, where this new merger ends up and how the baseball is, you know, before last year, um, our league is a predominantly pitchers league, Yeah, massive pitching, just, you know, pitching dominated and then out of nowhere in 2022 the first year we really started playing each other here or there um it was more of an offensive league mm-hmm. and uh so that was a little bit of a change of pace and uh you know those changes are going to be part of this and the only reason it's taken so long is because of this uh pandemic that we've gotten out of and uh you know it'll be it's going to be really cool to see the next two three years of how both both all these teams grow together and uh and we'll see what we come up with at the end yeah, I, I definitely agree with the, in 21, it felt more like, almost like a stew where you just like, you see the each, it's all part of the same dish, but they're each their own ingredients still. Now it's more of like a sauce or a soup where everything's kind of starting to come together and blend together and it's really complementing each other. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing that continued, uh, partnership and seeing really how more of that, like, 
common ground gets established there, uh, certainly. And I do also want to just talk about, uh, if not for briefly, obviously there's been a bit of a rebrand with the league. They got their new logo, got the new site, putting more of an emphasis on uh, online interaction and whatnot there. So I've just been a lot of changes, really my point. And I just wonder what's one of the positives, one of the negatives from that. We asked last week when we had Mick Ritter from the Grand Junction Jackalopes on the same question. So I'll ask it again, which is what's one of the positive things from this newer Frontier League and one of the, one of the areas that they could do better in? Well, as far as the, you know, the rebrand goes, um, we definitely we have a nice new slick logo and uh um and you know as far as the digital side of it that is a process that is you know we're still in the middle of it Mm -hmm. and it's um it's you know when you're not familiar with it which i really was not it's it's amazing how long these things take yeah uh not just changing logos but changing websites and changing changing how your league operates in a digital world and so the Frontier League has been making fantastic steps um, uh, in that. And, uh, you know, that is another thing that's going to be not only will be the baseball be growing, uh, but this digital advancement of our league is going to be growing as well. And we'll see where we're going to be at. It'll be totally different next year. And the two years after that, there'll be steps that the league will take. And uh, and uh, it's um, that's, so this is, that's a bit of an exciting thing for the league. You know, negatively, I'm, I'm trying to think of, uh, uh, you know, change is always scary. Yeah. And that, that was true when we merged with the Can-Am League. It's true when you bring in new teams. It's true when you lose teams. And, um, you know, I can't really speak for anything negatively um, on this digital rebrand or, or the advancements of the league uh, the last couple of years. Um, with the exception, our travel bills are high. Yeah. But that's uh, that's the nature of the business. So. Um, I'll gladly take that any day for uh, to see the progress that our league has been making. Yeah, definitely there. And I imagine, as we were talking about just a moment ago, getting that new variety of team in there as well, it also helps in spicing it up a little bit. Everybody likes rivalries, but when something's a little bit newer, it also helps bring people in, uh, certainly there. Uh, so on, on that note, I do have a question that kind of, I've noticed that Chicago has a very thriving indie ball market. You mentioned uh, Schaumburg and I believe it was Joliet earlier as other Frontier League teams, but there's obviously teams in other leagues that are in that Chicago area. So I kind of wonder how you make your brand stand out. Obviously, the Bolts have been around, if I'm not mistaken, the longest out of all of them, and if not, certainly one of the longest teams. So they have that advantage. But how do you make your, your brand stand out amongst all the other independent leagues, or I guess now partner league uh, teams in the area well we are the uh we're the second oldest team in the frontier league huh. uh, active team that's still around yeah. and we've been around the longest in the chicagoland area um you know teams have come and gone um you know in the chicagoland area mm-hmm. and that includes you know schomburg joliet and there's been teams that have been added uh, over in the association and you're right there is a massive amount of uh independent independent uh, baseball in the Chicagoland area. And you can even go a little farther up into Wisconsin, right across yeah. the border. Yeah. And so um, luckily for us, you know, we are, uh, our ball club has been around for a long time. Our ballpark was built for the Frontier League in 1999. And so in a way, um, the league that we entered in, not in a way, the league that we entered in in 1999 is, is, 
unrecognizable to the league that we're in uh, we're in now. And so uh, one thing that the that our organization has done uh, to keep going and not have to not having any changes is, uh, you know, we were a predominantly south side of Chicago, southwest suburbs uh, team, mm-hmm. um, you know, right up the tollway. Our teams uh, right up another highway is another team. You know, we can hit if we have 30 to 45 minutes or an hour, we can hit. Uh, four other teams and so um we take pride in the fact that we uh we've been there for the south side of chicago for the southwest suburbs um you know neighborhoods like beverly mount greenwood in chicago the orleans the palaces the tinleys the oaklawns um those that's our bread and butter and so while our reach is uh is probably not as big as the um, other teams uh, we have stayed within ourselves, and uh, and that's why we've uh, we've been pretty successful in uh, in keeping this thing going. We just do it pretty quietly, and so um, you know that's that's it's not a matter of competing against the other teams. We we know where our fans come from. We know where our uh, we know who our who our customers are, and we're going to continue to to provide them with uh, family fun entertainment and. Uh, uh, that's uh, I don't see why anything's going to change. Yeah, it's just about knowing uh, knowing your market, knowing your graphic, and uh, certainly I've seen that in New Jersey for a while. We had a team in Newark, we had a team over in uh, not that far away over at Montclair State, we had a team in Sussex County, a team in Somerset, a team in Staten Island, the major league teams. We had a lot of baseball around here, so everybody had to find like okay. This uh, five mile radius or this ten mile radius, this is going to be the people we're going to appeal to. So I totally get saying this this area is our people. We're gonna we're gonna serve these people. So I definitely get that. And and I'm just kind of curious because I'm always a guy that likes you know kind of interleague play, inter tournament play. I've been pushing around an independent league World Series since this show started in 2019. So knowing that we have all these teams in the greater Chicagoland area. Has the thought ever crossed your mind of trying to organize some sort of tournament with all of these teams? Maybe just the other Frontier League teams or maybe some of the other ones. But has that thought ever crossed your mind saying, hmm, you know what, if we if we had some time to do this at one point or another, this could be a fun kind of a little event to hold? Well, um, you know, anything formal, you know, those are that's on a league level. Yeah. And so that's yeah. a bit of above my pay grade. But hmm. Uh, I will say that that are all of these teams in all of independent baseball, um, whether you were just looking to have something within the Chicago area or if you were looking to have something like a, I don't know, an independent baseball championship, mm. you know that that's um, that is an intriguing thing, and uh, and I think uh, you know with the marathon type of atmosphere that that this baseball is, yeah. you know it's a long season. And, uh, um, players know when they're going home, um, players know when the season's ending. And I think, I think with the uncertainty of, of how you would set that up, that could be a little difficult. Um, but I will say that in the Chicagoland area, you know, we, um, we play those, uh, other league teams quite often during the exhibition. Yeah. And so, you know, we got a couple games that we'll have with Gary this year and, Mm. uh, it's not the real thing at all. 
Um, yeah. But but it's not like it's not like we don't have uh, relationships with those other teams. Yeah, definitely. And I bring it up to every commissioner. I brought it up to Billy. I brought it up to Josh Schaub. I brought it up to Rick White. I brought it up to everyone that runs one of these major leagues when we had him on. Every time I try to go, why don't you do the World Series? Why don't you do the World Series? Fully knowing the logistical issues behind it. And all of them were like, eh, it sounds cool, but it sounds like a nightmare to plan. So we're going to take a pass on it. So I, I definitely get it. But uh, yeah, it's definitely something cool there. And we, I appreciate taking the time here. I only have well, one real major question left. And it's not even really a major question. It's, it's something that I like to do around here because I do a lot of digging for each interview. I research it pretty well. And so uh, in this particular instance, uh, I found that you've pretty much been with this team since 1999, with the exception of a couple of years. And one of the first jobs you had when they were uh, Cook County Cheetahs was as a sound director. And I saw one particular news article, I think it was Chicago Tribune. You're describing it as, you know, there's a five uh, CD uh, deck and I had an extra CD in case we needed it. So I want to know... <laughs> What were some of the popular tracks in 1999 that you were playing, if you can remember? Because I'm very <laughs> curious about this kind of thing. Well, you know, my uh, I really struggle to remember things from uh, yeah. uh, to remember things from a week ago or a month ago, let alone from 23 or 22 years ago. Yeah. You know, uh, when the uh, stadium was getting built, and it's a small stadium, yeah. and uh, you know, I grew up on the south side. I grew up in Oakland, and um. You know, I was so excited when the team was coming in. I felt it like, because at the time, the only team in the area was King County. Yeah. And I felt like this was going to be the King County Cougars of the South Side. Yeah. And so I wanted to be a part of it so bad. And so uh, uh, I have a, I had a background in uh, public address announcing and game presentation with whether it be ice hockey or other baseball uh, tournaments. And so I was lucky enough to get, to get a chance, get a position in there and, um, but back then, you know, I know some teams, there was a sound program that'd be on a computer. We weren't as lucky at the time, the Cheetahs in 99. And so, you know, we had a five disc player and, uh, and one, uh, single disc. And I do remember having tons of lists of songs to know what discs were on, what, what songs were on what discs. And, uh, you always have the five disc player was kind of a, your general, between inning stuff your um you know you knew you knew whatever you're going to play there was going to be pretty safe the the disc player on the side my personal one it was just one little cd player and that was for those moments that came up when it was unexpected whether it was a big double whether it was a home run mostly pump up music i you know i guess jock jams and and i used to make my own cds and record songs you know I i couldn't even remember how to do that now yeah and, uh, you know, I assume me telling my kids what a CD is would be the same thing as my dad telling me what an eight track is. But, um, uh, you know, other than the jock jams music, man, I, I tell you what, go to Wikipedia search. Now that's what I call yeah. music. And there you go. That's those are the types of music that we probably were playing. Uh, like honestly, that's cool to hear because I still drive an 03 Volvo, so I'm I don't have like aux ports, I don't have Bluetooth, I have CDs and I have a cassette deck in my car. So okay, so hearing all that, and I'm like, you know what? He's listing stuff where I know I have that CD. Sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not. still I'm still a radio guy, you know, because right. you you don't know what's gonna come up, and so I'll, I'll fish through radio uh, radio stations that I like, and yeah. and eventually you find a song, and there's multiple times. Uh, several times a drive where you're like, 
where you're like, yeah, I haven't heard the song in forever. I forgot the song existed. And so uh, I'm a radio guy myself. Uh, definitely. I mean, I, I've just become accustomed to it. They recently, New York took off my favorite radio station. They went under. So I've, I've been desperately searching for the past two months now to try and find uh, something to replace it. But it just you can't replace it. So sure. uh, I guess with that, I don't really have anything else left to ask. I know I had one question last week in our Q&A asking about the All-Star game, why it was on a, a weekday. So I'm not sure if you want to address that. Uh, here or not but if you do uh, I'll give you some time now before we I hand the floor over to you for uh, for some promotional work oh um, I don't got to do any promotional work but I do as far as that question goes our league the league has always been um, those two days Tuesday Wednesday of usually it's during Major League Baseball's all-star break and so uh, having it during the MLB all-star break allows uh, for more scouts to be to be there. Uh, I see. Um, and also, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday is the way to go. There's no reason for us to take a weekend away from, away from the half the league, yeah. uh, so that we can have, you know, weekends are so valuable yeah. for teams. I mean, they're so valuable. And so with, with the, the skills competition or whatever a team would put on in the all-star game, yeah. those events should hold themselves up. Um, no matter what day they're on, because it is a special, unique thing. And so, uh, you know, in particular, our area is so excited for it and our fans are so excited for it. And, um, um, it's no, there's no need for us to, uh, there's no need for the league to put this on a weekend. This thing should hold water itself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, in that way we can, we can take another couple day break. And on Friday after the all-star game, half our teams will be at home and then they can do what they do best is, uh, is those primetime games is what they want. So, uh, but as far as your history on that, it's always been on Tuesdays and Wednesdays in the Frontier League. And I believe, uh, I believe every independent league has theirs during the week. I, I, I would be, I'd be interested to know if anybody uh, busts the weekend for that. I feel like the American Association has before. I don't know why. I feel like they may have. I'd have to look into that further to know, but that, that was when we first were discussing. I was like, that's probably why it's in the middle. I was figuring the weekend days were just too valuable for the league as a whole to kind of surrender that. And also it would hurt the team hosting it as well, not necessarily hurt them, but it would take away, uh, an otherwise fairly safe prime date when you could otherwise just say, all right, uh, Tuesdays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, middle of the week, weekday games, they're always a bit more, okay, let's see what we have here when we get to the ballpark. And if you could go ahead and kind of guarantee those days to be safer, you're going to do that and protect the other prime dates. So I assume that was the reason. That's kind of what I said. But uh, uh, yeah, I figured I'd just bring it up. While I have you here, I might as well ask the guy that would know best. So, sure. so yeah, uh, as I said, though, before we came on, as I just said, yeah, I'm going to give you five minutes here to say anything you want to say. Go back to any topic we may have already discussed and moved on a little too quick on. Bring up something that we didn't discuss that you wanted to hit on. Or, like I said, I, I know you said you didn't have anything to promote, but if you changed your mind the last uh, two minutes, uh, the floor is yours to do any of the above that I mentioned. Uh, no, I, I do appreciate the time, Nick, and I appreciate uh, you reaching out um, to talk. And, uh, you know, uh, we are looking forward to uh, bringing the whole league uh, to Crestwood and to the uh, Chicago Southland uh, this upcoming July. And hopefully we do something different at the skills competition before we have our that traditional All-Star uh, on that Wednesday. So we are looking forward to it. Bring some nice uh, attention 
much needed attention to our to our area and to our ballpark and our team and you know we're looking forward to it and we're going to put a little uh a little south side uh twist on this event so again nick i do appreciate the time i appreciate you coming on and taking the time to uh, discuss with us uh, you're more than welcome to be back on again when we get closer to the uh, closer to the season All right, we'd also like to thank Mike for coming on the show again. Uh, definitely appreciate him taking time out of his day. I know he when we first tried to get him on, uh, we called him and he was in the middle of uh, shoveling a bunch of snow because it was a blizzard. Because it was, we did this last week, about actually almost exactly a week ago when you're listening to this. So uh, he's just had to rearrange some things, but he still managed to carve up some time after you know taking care of the winter weather uh, to do this. So we do appreciate that. And when we get close to the spring and closer to opening day, I'd love to have him on, maybe try to get uh, his manager on as well. Oh yeah. I mean, of course, uh, Rishi Saxton, a big name and uh, a lot of eyes on him uh, this season. And it's his first, uh, first time as a manager and as a indie ball manager as well. Certainly there. And uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting city in Windy. Or <laughs> it's going to be an interesting year in Windy City. So, uh. Interesting city in Windy. Yeah. Yeah. Thank God I have the ability to edit that. Can you please make that? Okay. Nick, Nick, Nick. You got to make that the title of this episode. Right, what? A, a windy year or a windy city? No, like, uh, like, uh. No, wait. What did you say? It was like. Good thing it's not on record. A city in Windy? Yeah, a city in Windy. I think that's solid. A city in the wind? I could go with that. Mm. It rolls a little bit better. It's, it's more pleasing. Okay. It, I'll, I mean, you can make the final call, but I, I think it should be a play off that because there you go. There's your, there's, your, there's your name. I'm down for that, you know. I mean, you got to name it after the interview guest, and there's not too much else to pull from. So uh, sometimes, it, sometimes the names of episodes, just they just speak to you. Exactly. And like, you just pop up and you know right away, like, that's it. It just hits you in the face like a gust of wind, you know? That, that's true, in the city. <laughs> in the city, yeah. But uh, enough with the, uh, the I guess, midway puns. I suppose we should actually get to the news of the week, or I guess of the past two weeks, actually, for the whole back half of December, really. Uh, and it, there's no bigger news than what's happening in Winnipeg, obviously. A long-time manager, Rick Forney, only the third manager in Goldeye's history. He left this offseason after spending uh, about 16 years uh, with the Goldeye's organization. And for a while now, there's been kind of a void, wondering who's going to fill him. Fill in his spot here. Uh, only two other guys besides uh, Rick had held that spot. And, I mean, one of them was Hal Lanier, who obviously is an accomplished baseball man himself, and then Doug Simiak uh, being the other guy who obviously a little bit more well-known for being in Fargo as opposed to Windy, or opposed to uh, Winnipeg. But still, all well-known guys. So it's a very, I guess, coveted position and also a position that comes with some weight with some expectation to it. And uh, last week we got our answer to that, and it would be Greg Taggart. Uh, obviously, we all remember Greg Taggart from his 27 years of experience and 16 years in Gary South Shore. Uh, he's now the fourth manager in Winnipeg Gold Ice team history. Uh, a little background in case we've forgotten about Greg Taggart. 
or at least his accomplishments. He was originally signed away to the Giants organization. He has since come back now to Indie Ball and essentially is uh, taking the manager's job uh, in one of the very few spots he said he'd ever be interested in managing again in. And he has 12 of 16 winning seasons in Gary. Three championships, the most recent of which being 2013. So it's been a little bit of some, you know, a little bit of rougher times. And uh, yeah, he's the replacement for Rick Forney. Uh, it'll be an interesting way of seeing it here. Uh, he has an interesting managerial style and an interesting way of uh, of running his ball club. But there obviously is a lot of success in that too. Even if the kind of back end of his tenure in Gary wasn't exactly the pinnacle of success. Yeah, I think it's... I can see why, for example... I mean, the first question I think when you look at a guy like Taggart is, hey, like... Well, he was with the Giants. Well, what caused him to leave? I truly, I mean, you don't know for sure, but uh, I think that just Winnipeg is a unique job, like he said, uh, because it comes with, well, you, and you mentioned the expectations, Nick, that come along with, with winning in Winnipeg just because of what they've done over recent years. And also just the fact that uh, it comes, it's a position that comes with a lot of stability and a track record of stability. Something that, a word that you don't hear very often when you talk about independent league baseball and stability. Those two, those, those, the, those two phrases do not go together, uh, usually. So I think, uh, as far that probably about as well as Winnipeg could have done with a hire is getting Greg Taggart to come back, uh, and manage. Now, I think the, the point that you brought up at the end of what you said, Nick, was, mm. is kind of important to acknowledge because yes, Taggart has an unbelievable track record. He does. Um, I, he's, uh, he's managed, of course, managing Gary and certainly the Winnipeg organizations an upgrade over Gary, uh, and, and all that can be true. However, you know, Gary, he didn't leave. It's not like Gary was that great at the end of his tenure. Yeah. I don't, I'm not going to act like I'm an expert and I know why. And cause I, I, I'm not there, but I think it's something to acknowledge that, Hey, like, uh, he's, yeah, the 12 winning records in 16 seasons. I mean, that's, that's, that's certainly a, a great point, but it didn't end great. So something interesting to keep an eye on. Now, that doesn't mean I don't think Winnipeg should have hired him given the opportunity because you're not going to do probably much better at this point than bringing in a guy uh, like Taggart. But I do find it at least interesting, and it's something at least to discuss that, hey, at the end of his tenure in Gary, it didn't really end well as far as wins and losses. Uh, and you wonder how that would how that could transition to Winnipeg. Yeah, I do wonder that as well because it's just like it wasn't great there. And what I heard from some of the former Railcap players, because I talked to a handful, about half a dozen uh, or a few more than that, and they all were like, "He's a great guy," but some of the ways he manages are a little out of date. And I mean, he's fifty nine, so it's not like incredibly old but he's also not new to the game like we talked to a lot of younger managers we talked to Anthony Barone we talked to uh to Michael Schlatt we talked to a bunch of guys that are you know younger guys and they have a certain philosophy about them and it's maybe not the case for guys that have been around for a while obviously you know 27 years of managerial experience a guy that you know has been doing this since what he was 32 so he has experience yeah but if you're not updating the way you coach to fit the players you have 
then you better be damn sure that you're going out and getting guys that work well in the kind of environment that you create. Otherwise, it's not going to be a successful product on the field. You're going to have a harder time recruiting guys in. Now, granted, of course, when you just want a spot and a place to showcase your talent, you're not going to be nearly as picky as you would otherwise be. But that still being said, you know, there's a lot of guys that say the way things were done weren't exactly like uh, the way I it had been done for me in the past on different levels. So, like, there was a four-man rotation that we do know about. I mean, obviously, anyone that watched the Railcats knows they ran a four-man rotation, which is just really odd in today's day and age of baseball. You know, like, it'd be one thing if it was a four-man rotation, but it's like, okay, we're using them as openers, you know, three, four innings. Then, okay, fine, you're not putting as much mileage on there, but to still expect them to go, you know, five, six, seven innings the whole length of the year on a four-man rotation, like it's 1962, is uh, a bit odd. But, yeah, there's just, like, a lot of things like that. And I do wonder, like, are you going to be able to really be able to run that system in Winnipeg, a place that already, you know, players aren't exactly thrilled about going to, even though it is a great organization, I do want to make that clear. It's just, it's in Canada, so that's a holdup for some people. So I do wonder if that's going to be a problem. And, uh, yeah, I like I said, I like to hire from an experience standpoint, and I do agree with you well. I don't think at this stage we're going to get anyone better. And I do think Taggart will have some mileage in Winnipeg. Obviously, Winnipeg's shown that they like to be loyal to their guys. You know, they, they have a guy, and they'll, They'll stick with him. And uh, I think he probably does have five or six years in him before maybe he decides, okay, you know, I'm 64, 65. Maybe now is the time to call it quits. And then you can go somewhere else on that. But I do, I do question it just in case the situation becomes similar to Gary, where you're using methods that used to work, but no longer work. And I think if he would have had you know, a lot more success in the last couple of years that Gary was there, or that he was in Gary, rather, than it would be a different conversation we're having, but it really wasn't quite the same. Right, and I think you could also look at it in a sense of, uh, hey, like, since they, I mean, they had their big championship in 2013 as well, but I since... 2000 uh, really since 2011 uh, or or since that championship season from 2014 on they've made the playoffs twice and have not gotten out of the first round no. so I, I and with the the last three years a combined record of 121 and 178 hmm. so uh, I think that um, I, I, I think that it's something to at least acknowledge now it could have the opposite effect right because yeah. it could have um, Taggart being like, okay, I need to change. Like, and that's not to say that. I mean, a four man rotation to me. I, I'll go ahead and say it. I think a four man rotation is ridiculous, like mm. ridiculous. Uh, but uh, I think that um, I think it could also have the the opposite impact where he's kind of willing to adapt and change, uh, and uh, and in that way, really improve the team and improve the record and bring the skills that he does have to the table. So, uh, and you know, you, you look at similar, and of course, major league baseball is major league baseball, but, uh, you've seen a couple of those types of managers have some success. Mm. Your Buckshaw, uh, your Buckshaw Walters, uh, and your Dusty Bakers, uh, who 
yeah, are they old school in and of itself, or like like are they old school at heart? Yes, but they're willing to adapt, uh, and they've shown that they're willing to adapt and have success in relating to the players and stuff like that. Uh, so will that happen here? I guess we'll see. But uh, the resume speaks for itself, uh, and I definitely think for Winnipeg, it's a it's a a good hire based on the timing as well. Uh, and you know, I, and we'll see how it goes. But like, I think there's some questions that go with it as well. Yeah, definitely there. And I mean, there's also the counterpoint too of you know. While Tackett's methods may not work for winning games for the team as a whole, he also did get several guys signed to major league rosters or to major league organizations. And that's that's pretty true. I mean, if you look at the Railcats, there's a handful of pitchers that got picked up there. There's a handful of other players that got picked up. And there's certainly something to be said about that. You know, it's just overall, I'll be interested to see how it goes. So uh, definitely something to watch. Definitely a curious proposition. And one thing I'm going to be very interested to see here is, you know, how Winnipeg does in relation to how York does. Because obviously Rick Forney left Winnipeg to take the job in York, which is just a close-to-the-home type position for him. Uh, But I'll be interested to see how those two teams do. Because York, while they've had their moments over the past few years, they haven't really had a truly great season in some time. So to see how these two teams are going to go is going to be very interesting to me. Yeah, I think that's 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 a good point because a lot of you know when I love the I love the saying when people look at it like uh and when looking at how valuable either a player or a coach is is what happens like obviously you could look at what they do while they're there and you should but what happens when they leave right yeah uh, and especially when Forney goes from a place like Winnipeg where there's a lot of structure and there's a lot of winning. And there's 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 tradition and uh, expectation, and he meets those expectations time and time again. Goes to a place like York, um, where there hasn't the where the inevitably they're going to need to really turn it around in 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 the record department. So uh, I think that it's it's going to be very interesting to see what one what happens to Winnipeg when Forney leaves and how, what kind of value does he add, uh, add to York. Uh, and I think that's a, it's a interesting, it's going to be very uh, interesting to follow Taggart and Forney kind of in comparison to one another, even though they are in, in different leagues and very different circumstances. Yep, absolutely. And that's another thing that goes to Taggart's credit as well. I mean, it's not like his replacement in Gary was doing too much better. I mean, Rogers did, he did fine, but I mean, Gary still didn't have a great year. Still missed the postseason in a league where practically everyone made the postseason this past year, with the exception of four teams. So, you know, that maybe it was more of a Gary issue. Maybe it, maybe it's something else. I don't know, but it is going to be very interesting to see. And one thing is for dead certain, uh, the Gold Eyes open in Gary, Indiana on May the 11th. I feel like that game all of a sudden becomes a lot more interesting to watch. Hot dog. Is that not now the game you watch on the 11th? Oh, for sure. A thousand percent. Because I feel like if you're Gary, you got to put together some sort of like, thank you, Greg thing. Because obviously they did that already when he left for uh, the Giants org. But now you have the chance to kind of put together like a little, uh, I guess, video message. You got the opportunity to really kind of celebrate him coming back. But obviously you want to keep it within the pounds of like, Hey, you're still competing against us and trying to beat us. Yeah. But yeah, I just, I feels like it really adds to the opening day atmosphere, you know? 
Yeah, it sure does. Uh, and I'm sure that they will, they will treat him very nicely and have, um, tributes and and all that good stuff for the fans uh when, when he comes back but then you know once the first pitch is thrown then it's all business at that point but should, it is a very interesting storyline for american association opening day for sure definitely is so on that note we will switch over to the other piece of news from the past week we like i said we did have banana ball too but uh, it's just i'm adding more dates and at this point it seems kind of irrelevant uh but one thing that isn't irrelevant for you atlantic league fans is the ballpark pass is back it was introduced in 2022 and in case you need a quick refresher as to what it was essentially if you're a season ticket holder you had access to all the other ballparks in the Atlantic League. So let's say you had two season tickets and you're a Long Island Ducks season ticket holder. You could then go to Staten Island and you'd have two tickets waiting for you there. It'd be complimentary. No, don't have to pay. I don't know the quality of the seat. I think it's probably just like, here's two tickets. Have fun. But you could do that to any ballpark there. So as many season tickets as you owned, you had access to that many tickets at every other ballpark. Pretty straightforward. Um, that said... I don't really know how well it did because I just don't know too many Atlantic League season ticket holders. So if there's any of them out there that want to say how much they took advantage of that, uh, I'd be very interested in hearing that. It is a cool perk. It is a neat little perk. There is an incentive there uh, certainly to go out and, you know, buy the season tickets to support your team here. And I do wish they would have done this more when the league was more regionalized. Now it's obviously spread out more along the whole Atlantic coastline which makes it up to his name more, yes, but back when you had, like, Camden and Bridgeport and Nork and Long Island and Somerset all in the same league, all in the same grouping there, and then, like, your faraway teams were, like, Sugarland and Lancaster and Southern Maryland and York, it's like, realistically, then, if you're a season ticket holder for anyone, say, Sugarland, you could realistically say, oh, cool, we could do, like, a whole, like, three-day weekend trip to some of these major like hub areas and see two or three games at all of them and you could have really gotten some use out of it now when it's more spread out i do wonder how much use it gets like if you're a duck season ticket holder stan island probably is the one that's happening a lot maybe the pennsylvania teams but you're probably not going you know to, to southern maryland all that much you're probably not going down to north carolina you're probably not going out to west virginia or lexington either so, you know, it's, I, I wonder how much use it gets now that it's more spread out. It's still a cool perk, don't get me wrong. I just wonder its usefulness at times. Yeah, in my view, I, I honestly don't think it even matters how much use it, uh, it gets because it doesn't, it's not like it costs, it doesn't really cost teams anything. <clears throat> and I think that, uh, it's just it's just a good way to try and convince people to uh, be seeds and ticket holders in their in their local markets and try to kind of travel to those uh, those those closer markets as well. So I think it's um I, I think it's a cool perk. I really liked it the the idea of it last year. Kind of uh, you, you know I, when you, you make a good point about when it would have been nicer when everything was more regionalized, which is definitely true. Uh, but I think that. Uh, it's regardless of whether or not it, it gets used. I do think it's a good idea to, for the Atlantic to have that as a uh, have that as an opportunity to be taken advantage of. Regardless, because at the end of the day, if nobody does it, nobody does it. Who cares? 
Uh, but it, it is a good park that I think they should have available. Uh, and it just encourages people to kind of follow their teams and travel on the road, especially for, uh, even though it's the league as a whole is more spread out, uh, you still have, uh, almost like two teams each that are like close ish to each other. You yeah. have Lexington, West Virginia, High Point, Gastonia, Long Island, Staten Island. Uh, obviously Lancaster, York, uh, and then Southern Maryland, Southern Maryland, Frederick. So each team kind of has a buddy, you could say. Yeah. Uh, or, I mean, a rival if you want to take it the other way. But uh, I think that makes this sort of realistic uh, and a good idea. So I, regardless of whether or not people use it, I think it's a good idea and it should be available to the fans. And uh, I like the returning. Yeah, I, d- I definitely do like it being there. I agree with uh, pretty much everything you said there. And I just... I, I just wish we had more perks to it, but I do like it. It's definitely creative, and it's something that I think, you know, I'd like to see other teams do. I mean, certainly, like, if the Frontier League did that, I would definitely be more interested in either picking up, like, a Jackal's season ticket or a uh, minor season ticket, because I'm like, okay, you know what? I could go to Rockland. I could go to Southern Mar- or I could go to Sussex. I could go to New Jersey. Maybe I decide one weekend, all right, I'll go up to... uh tri-city you know you could go ahead and kind of do all that i imagine it's a bit more difficult uh when you got border crossings involved i don't think the the canadian teams really want to be like okay you know we'll be participant in it i don't know the exact the troubles that would come from it but i imagine there are some that are still there and uh yeah i do think it's interesting i think it's definitely a fun thing to do but i just had this one random thought about the atlantic league and it could really be for any league I just want to hear what you, your thoughts are on it before we kind of go to close up the show this week. So the thought I had is kind of redoing the the playoff structure a bit. And I know we always talk about this, but it would be a really interesting way of doing that. I don't think any professional league currently uses. And it's basically saying you must meet a certain winning percentage threshold in order to qualify for the postseason. Okay, so then the bracket kind of changes? Yeah, so essentially, it really wouldn't, divisions wouldn't matter unless you have multiple teams qualifying from the same division. So let's say you have, let's, let's just set it like a 550 winning percentage, okay? Like you gotta win at least 55% of your games in order for uh, you to qualify for the postseason. So, if you meet that threshold, and let's say three teams in the North Division meet it and only two teams in the uh, South Division, I'm not sure the math would work out in that particular instance, but just run with it for a minute because it'll make the scenario a little bit easier. In the North Division that has those three teams, the team with the top winning percentage, assuming there isn't a tie, and if there is a tie, go to head-to-head record, then go interdivision record, and then you can keep going down the list for tiebreakers, whatever you know you determine to be the most fair as you go down the list. But the top winning percentage would get a bye into the next round. The other two would go ahead, and they would play each other, best of three, best of five, whichever you prefer. And then once their series is done, you go on, you play that top team, and then we have our winner coming out of the north. You know, over in the south, it would be pretty straightforward, just two teams, boom, boom, they play each other. And winner goes on to the final. So on one hand, you are penalized a bit if you have a better division because you got to play more teams, more games. But we're also ensuring that we're not having any like kind of weaker opponents in there. Likewise, let's say if we only have, you know, three teams as a whole and across the whole league that are, you know, winning percentage, then one could go ahead and 
just automatically qualify for the final, I guess, if they win their division with the top winning percentage. Or if we have a rare scenario where nobody qualifies, maybe the number isn't 550. Maybe it's higher than that and nobody reached that threshold because it was just a very even year. At that point, you could just take the top two winning percentage teams, regardless of division, and put them against it. I know it's a really kind of far out there idea, and it's one I just kind of came up with on the fly. I didn't really put too much thought into it, but I think it could be an interesting way of doing things. I think that for me, in order for it to really work, you would have to you would have to, you would have to ditch divisions. Okay. Um. And to ensure that the schedules are equal, that are, are as equal as they can be. So I think that'd be my first problem with it. And I think the second one is, is I just think it takes, I think it kind of takes out like the incentive of individual, like head to head matchups mm-hmm. that like for the division or for something else. Um, not that like, for example, in an eight team American association, uh, like, it really matters all. I mean, as far as like picking your team or whatever, but yeah. I, I think that I, I don't know. It's just, I, I, I worry about it. Uh, a system like that one being uneven because of divisions and two, uh, I would worry about it being, uh, kind of disincentivizing some regular season, uh, in some like head to head regular season matchups, you know, that make baseball so great. I definitely understand that concern. I also just think though, that with a system like that, you know, it makes you play more. Cause now if you obviously in this situation, you could get rid of the whole like division half champions in this. So now if you're say Lexton who cruises in the first half of the year, like they did in 21, and then they kind of just like put her in park or put her in neutral for the second half of the year, it no longer incentivizes that, right? Like, it incentivizes you to keep going out there and keep playing, keep trying to win games, and not to do any sort of player management type strategies. It incentivizes you to say, all right, we can't afford to let our winning percentage drop, so now matchups that otherwise would have been pretty meaningless have some sort of meaning to them. That's my kind of thinking that keeps everything alive. Now, I will agree, like the end of the season race, all of a sudden, for a, a lot of teams, it's going to be kind of, kind of pointless because either you're going to be at like a 440 winning percentage with no reasonable path to get to that, you know, whatever the magic number threshold is, and then other teams are going to be, you know, pretty well set above it, wherever it may be. So I would agree on that front, but I do think there is some merit to it. I think there's definitely some merit. It's just, I don't know. I, I, I love those like individual matchups kind of down the stretch. Um, and I don't know, like there's a team who gets, who clinched like at least like a 55% winning percentage kind of chill down the stretch. I don't know. I, 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 I think that I would rather have more like head to head base than just like a blanket like thing where the bracket changes and could be odd numbers. And sometimes there's buys, sometimes there's not. And it doesn't really depend on how you do, but how other teams do. I think, I don't know. It's just probably too complicated for my liking. All right. I mean, it's fair enough. Like I said, it's just kind of an off the top one. I didn't really think it out too much. And I thought it could be an interesting way of doing things. So uh, certainly something that I just wanted to throw out there to let people think about. So uh, on that note, uh, we don't really have too much else to talk about. I'm pretty sure we will we'll have eclipsed the uh, hour mark at this point. So I think you got your money's worth, which is to say you didn't pay anything because this is a free show uh, out of this week. So uh, with that said, we'll go to the plugs and then we'll get out of here. 
uh, so you guys can enjoy the rest of your New Year's Eve. Uh, that said, plugs. You can follow the show on Twitter at IndieBallPod, on Instagram at IndieBallReport, and at ALPB underscore news. You can also go ahead and find the show on the website IndieBallReport.com, where we're going to very shortly be putting up more articles again. We're going to actually make a concerted effort to try and get, like, one or two a month up on there as well as some other content that's going to be coming in the new year too uh then also all the shows are there all the show notes are there as well too so be sure to check out indiebarreport.com for all of those needs uh that being said you could also find the show wherever you find podcasts tune in stitcher spotify podbean uh, apple podcast google podcast you know the drill all of those platforms and more uh, for finding the show. Rate, review, subscribe if you can. That said, anything else left to add this week? You know, I think a fun way to do, to close out the week, Nick, is, I don't know, I guess pick the uh, college football playoff semifinals. I'm going to go, uh, ready for this one? Yep. I think I think that, I think Michigan will beat TCU okay. by a decent amount. I think Ohio. I think Georgia wins, but really close. That's my opinion. I don't know. So, I have too many Michigan and Ohio State people on my timeline. So, for that alone, I'm pulling for TCU. And I mean, I really don't like the Big Ten or the SEC. So, there's no winner in the Georgia game. So, I guess I'll go Georgia, and I'm just wanting TCU to pull it out. I don't expect them to. But, uh, yeah, screw it. We're going to go TCU in Georgia based off of absolutely nothing. <laughs> well, fair enough then. Yeah. All I know is the Duke Blue Devils are a football school now. We won the military bowl and went 9-4 and four in the year. Losing in those four losses, losing by a combined 16 points, so not very bad at all. And uh, we tripled our win total or win expectation coming into this year. And... Uh, I, I'm just like on cloud nine and Mike Elko should be paid whatever he demands so that way he remains in Durham for as long as humanly possible. Um he he's just a he's a godsend, really. In fact, the best way to describe Mike Elko is he's exactly what Rucker people thought they were getting in Greg Shianu. So You know, yeah, okay. Put Duke in the in the big ten east. We'll we'll see how, how well they would have done. I'm sorry. I I'm just we're nine and four and won a bowl game. Yeah, I mean, I mean, okay. So again, put put Duke in the Big Ten East, and you're having to play Michigan State, Penn State, uh, Ohio Michigan. State, Michigan every single season, and let me know how that goes. What I heard is we go one and three against them every year. For us. For, for Duke, I'm just thinking Duke can go one and three against him. I don't think we beat Penn State, Ohio State, or Michigan, but I think we can beat Michigan State. Well, it depends on the year because sometimes Michigan State's nasty. So, and sometimes Michigan suggests so the tire fire. So, you know, I mean, like obviously everything depends on the year. And we'll revisit this in a year's time from now once Duke goes through their gauntlet schedule next year, where they play Clemson and Notre Dame back to back, then they play Pitt, and then they get UNC. So. Okay. It's going to be a not fun schedule next year, but I will tell you this much. If we can take two or three from Notre Dame, Clemson, and UNC, I will be thrilled. You don't understand. Oh, if you can it's... take two out of three, that's winning the lottery there. <laughs> if we somehow manage to sweep them, I honestly don't know what I'm going to do. If we manage to take three or four in that four-game stretch, I mean... Well, like, then you're probably in playoff consideration. We should be. I mean, like, 
if you're able to knock off, like, you do know, like, what will happen is we'll lose to, like, I don't know, Florida State or some bullshit, and then we'll be, like, going from ranked 13th in the nation to 25th or just drop right out. And it'll make no sense whatsoever. But if we beat Clemson, I'm, I'm going to be stunned. I do think it is at Duke. I don't think it's at Clemson. But if it is at Clemson, and we beat Clemson at Clemson, can, is that an exaggeration to call it the biggest win in program history in the last 70 no. years? No, not at all. Because, like, I feel like it is. Like, the only one that would be bigger, I think you got to go back to, like, the 40s or 50s when they won the Orange Bowl. So, like, we're, we're, we're talking a very long time. Like, Sonny Jerkinson was the quarterback when they won the Orange Bowl. Right. So, it, it would be something else. So, I, I'm just... I'm still on cloud nine there. I expect very little out of next season. Uh, honestly, bowl eligible next year, and I will take that and run with it because of the t- difficulty that is on that schedule. But, hey, who knows that? And uh, I only got two other things left to add this week before we get here, and I'll be quick about it. One, I know nobody really likes it, but I like doing it, so I'm going to do it anyway. Top three, bottom three movies of, of 2022 from me next week. Because I'm trying to get to the movies today on the Friday. Because hey, I have a whole birthday's rewards that I got to use before uh, before tomorrow when they expire, and also because I, there's three I really want to see in theaters that I got to try and get in so that way I can get them in the ranking. Because I only count things I see in the year of and in a theater for year of. Uh, otherwise, it doesn't feel right counting it in the list. That's first off, and secondly, I got to address this because I, this is another thing I see way too much on my personal timelines, both Twitter and Instagram. There's too many people that are about my age, that's, you know, 25, 26, that are uh, they're writing autobiographies. I've seen like three or four of them in the past three or four months. And I, I got to be honest, I think the number of people under the age of 35 that could confidently write their autobiography then is well under a thousand people. I, I got to be honest with you. I just don't think that there's too many people that should be writing in their autobiography before they're eligible to be president of the United States. Just because I don't think you could possibly write a compelling enough novel that to justify my time for that. Like, if you want to write, like, a novel, fine. You want to write a poetry book? I could see that being good. There's There's examples of that. There are types of literature you can write. And I can confidently say, this may not be bad, or this may actually be good. And, you know, that could work. But an autobiography is where I draw the line. You should not be writing your autobiography before you're 35. And there's just way too many that I've seen in my timeline. If there's one or two, I could chalk it up to some people just kind of like having a delusion of grandeur. But the fact that this is like five, six people tells me this isn't a delusion of grandeur. This is like an actual thing. And I, I hate it so much. That does sound dumb. I agree, but I've I can't I haven't seen much of it, so I can't really comment. But it does sound dumb. Yeah, like I, I'm honestly starting to think like, should I be writing a book because of how many books and autobiographies I've been seeing promoted on my timelines? Because I feel like I could write a book to, that's at least 150 pages and not terrible. And I feel like that's the standard nowadays. So, if in eight months from now I come back and I'm promoting a book on this show understand that I finally snapped and just said, screw it, I'm writing a book to prove that I can and that I'm part of this trend. I want people to know that. 
And also, unlike a lot of people that I'm seeing, because I click the Amazon links for this that they're promoting these books on, and it's not like they're selling these things cheap. These are like $15, $20 people are hawking these books for. And I'm sorry, I'm not buying your debut book for $15. It's not going to happen. I need you to have a proven track record before I buy a book at $15. So that's just the case. That also needs to be interesting, too. That's an important part, too. But more important than all of that, price your books well. If you priced it at $8, you'll actually get some sales. You price it at $15, sales ain't going to be there. So if I wind up doing this in eight months when I'm hawking a book, I promise you it'll be under $5 because I don't expect people to actually pay for an introductory work. That is going to be a middling quality. That's all I have to say on that. Not where I thought rent that we would end the show, but yeah. Okay. Sometimes it goes in unexpected places, and that's why you always got to be ready for it. That's why on this show, you never know what you're going to get. And sometimes you're just left kind of stunned, wondering what the hell you just listened to. And honestly, it's a fair reaction. And that's why we say, until next time, don't forget to play ball.